is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 44 to 49. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the early man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. For better or worse, there is something of our parents in every single one of us. They pass their genes on to us and there is nothing whatsoever we can do about it. And so we find ourselves quite unconsciously reflecting their mannerisms, sometimes copying their points of view. They exercise an inevitable influence over us. One study has explored how many men follow in their father's footsteps when it comes to career choices. In the United States, 22% of working American men whose fathers were present during their teenage years will, by the time they are 30, have worked for the same employer at the same time as their fathers. The more highly paid the job, the more that percentage increases. In Denmark, it's 28% of sons who've worked for an employer that appeared on their dad's resume around the time they appear 30. In Canada, it's 40%. We can take after our parents in all sorts of ways, good and bad. To say that someone is a chip off the old block might be a compliment, depending on what kind of person the old block was. But there are characteristics that we inherit from our parents and there is very little we can do about it. It can be disconcerting to look in the mirror and see your mother or your father staring back out at you. It's one of life's paradoxes. Each and every one of us is unique, and yet at the same time there is a sense in which each and every one of us is made in the image and likeness of our parents. If that's the case, what do you think the Bible means when it says that Adam, the first man, was made in the image and likeness of God? If you look at Luke's genealogy of Jesus, he traces Jesus all the way back through uh, back through Adam, back to Abraham, back to Adam, son of son of son of, and Adam is, Adam is son of God. What does it mean for Adam to be the son of God, to be made in the image and likeness of God? Over the years, you get various interpretations being put forward. If we're made in God's image, does that mean that we look like God in some way? There are those who suggest that actually, you know, physically, apparently, you know, there is a correspondence between what we look like and what God looks like. 
Are we made in the image of God in the sense that we share God's capacity for entering into relationships of love, trust and commitment? If if God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit and they belong together in a relationship of love and God created us male and female in his image, do our relationships, our capacity to make relationships reflect God's image? Or do we act as God's representatives to exercise dominion on his behalf over the created order? In the ancient world, kings used to set statues, images of themselves in lands that they conquered, and that represented the authority of the king in that area. Do we represent God's authority over the created order? Do we rule on his behalf? Are we in his image in as much as we exercise his dominion over the world? All of those ideas have been put forward, and there's an element of truth perhaps in the last two of them. I'm not sure about the first. Irenaeus, the Bishop of Lyon in the second century, thought that being made in the image of God meant that we were rational and free beings. Thomas Aquinas likewise thought that we were made in God's image as people endowed with intellect and reason. Calvin argues that Adam and Eve were perfectly intelligent, righteous and obedient. And these were the qualities that meant that they reflected the image of God as if in a mirror. But when they sinned, the image was damaged. The mirror was shattered. So the reflection is no longer clear as it once was. And the image of God in us hasn't been erased completely, but it's like an object that has been badly burned. It doesn't cease to exist, but it lies in the form of ash and dust, unrecognisable and bearing no resemblance to its former self. So a theological question for you. Genesis 5, 1 and 2 says that when God created man, he made him in the likeness and the image of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. Then in verse 3 we read that when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So Adam was in the image and likeness of God and Seth was in the image and likeness of Adam. Seth was the spitting image of his dad and his dad had been made in the image of God. So was Seth like a copy of a copy? Was the image of God still apparent in him as a kind of second-rate copy of the, the image that Adam was? Or if Adam had sinned and the image of God had been defaced in Adam before he had Seth... Was the image of God in Adam so damaged that Seth, his son, would have been barely recognisable as a man made in the image of God? Question to ponder. How much like God was Seth made in Adam's image who had been made in the image of God but had sinned? How much of the image of God was residual in Seth? And what about us? Whether you trace your family tree all the way back to Adam as your biological ancestor, or you see him as a kind of everyman, a figure who in some way stands for the whole human race, what does it mean for us to bear God's image, to share his likeness? And to what extent do we do so? Is it a good or a bad thing that we are in the image of Adam, that we share his likeness? 
We read in Genesis that Adam was created good. But by the time he started to have children, he sinned, and the image of God in him was already tarnished and broken. So when we trace our line all the way back to Adam, we don't go back to some glorious original version of humanity, the image of which has gradually been eroded away over the millennia that have elapsed since his creation. Adam was not an original ideal from which we fall short. Adam stands for humanity in its fallenness, its brokenness, its sinfulness. And if we share Adam's image and likeness, we do so as fallen, sinful and broken people. The Jewish apocryphal book to Ezra expresses this well. Adam, what have you done? Though the sin was yours, the fall was not yours alone. It was ours also, the fall of all your descendants. What good is the promise of immortality for us when we have committed mortal sins? What good is the hope of eternity in the wretched and futile state to which we've come? Or the prospect of dwelling in health and security when we have lived such wicked lives? You say that the glory of the Most High will guard those who've led pure lives, but what help is that to us who have walked in the most wicked ways? What good is the revelation to us of paradise and its imperishable fruit, the source of perfect satisfaction and healing? For we shall never enter it, since we have made depravity our home. For the author of Tredrus, Esdras, there was no doubt at all that being made in Adam's image was bad news. Try as we might, we can't shake off his likeness. And we're still a long way from the doctrine of original sin here, but you can see how these thought processes fed into the understanding of our nature as being fallen and sinful. Adam is our forebear, and there's a sense in which we cannot but follow his example. We are bound to him, sharing his nature, condemned to follow in his footsteps, unable to break the mould. Taking after Adam, bearing his image and likeness, is bad news for everyone. The good news of the gospel is that what Jesus has done is he's taken the mould of humanity and broken it and started again. That's what he did when he died and rose again broke the mould in death of our humanity that was shaped and controlled by sin and death and rose again as a new man, as a new Adam, the head of a new humanity, enabling us to be changed and be different. Adam sets us on the path to death. Jesus sets us on the path to life. It's a new beginning for all humankind. Jesus comes, then a second Adam, to recreate us in his image, not that of Adam. We're no longer inevitably conformed to the image of Adam, bearing his likeness. By the Spirit of God, we are conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son, humanity as we're intended to be. 
That's what Paul is saying in this bit of 1 Corinthians. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image, the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness, the image of the man from heaven. We're no longer automatically in the image image and likeness of Adam, the first man. We are conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, the man from heaven. It's like like changing our spiritual DNA. And it's a change so drastic that Paul elsewhere talks of it in terms of dying with Christ to the person we used to be and being raised with Christ to being a brand new creation. Our eternal destiny is changed. When Adam sinned, the judgment on him was to say, from dust you were made, to dust you shall return. It's a clear picture of the human fate, the disintegration of the physical body in the grave. So we're made in the image of the first man who was made from the dust of the earth and returns to the dust of the earth. And physically these bodies we have are dust and shall return to dust. But in Christ... We are recreated in the image of the second Adam, the head of a new humanity. And he's not a man of dust. Christ is the man from heaven who returned to heaven. And as we share in his image and our identity, as we are recast in his image, our ultimate destiny is changed from ending up being dust in the grave to being raised to life with Christ, a second Adam. Adam represents death. Christ brings life. Adam's legacy is one of sin. Christ's gift is righteousness. Adam was separated from God. Christ restores us to God. Remember, God breathed into Adam the breath of life and the man became a living being. Christ, as last Adam, infuses our mortal lives with his life-giving spirit and gives us eternal life. Because of Christ, everything is different. Everything has changed. And what about this business of the image of God? Well, if Adam stands for human nature in its fallenness and destructiveness, Christ came as second Adam to redeem us from that state. He identified himself with us completely in our fallenness and our mortality to the point of laying down his life for us on the cross. He embraced the human condition unreservedly, becoming one with us in mortality, becoming one with us in death, to raise us from being children of Adam to being children of Christ. And he became one with us so that through our union with him, rather than identification with Adam, so that through being united with Christ, the image of God in us might be renewed. That we might be more the people that we were created to be. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That image in him was neither marred nor tarnished by sin. And he becomes our role model. 
He becomes the one who shapes and forms our identity as we commit our lives to him. His life-giving spirit has the power to change us deep down within our souls, reconfiguring our characters so that we no longer automatically conform to the patterns, the habits, the lifestyle of Adam. But we are shaped and moulded in the image of God. And we no longer automatically conform to the patterns, the habits, the lifestyle of our parents. But we are shaped as a new creation, to be people in our own right, who live the lives that God intends us to live and calls us to live. We are empowered to live as people in whom the image of God is in the process of being restored by the Spirit of God. Who we are is no longer determined just by our genes or by our experience. Who we are is determined by God's Spirit within us. And Christ shaping and moulding us to be his image, his people. And on the day when we are raised from death to life, we will bear the image of the man from heaven. We will be like him for we shall see him as he is, says in 1 John. There's some debate as to whether the original reading of that verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 49 is a promise. We shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Or whether it's an exhortation, let us bear the image of the man of heaven. As we've borne the image of the man of dust, let us bear the image of the man of heaven. Just a matter of altering a single letter, pherasomen to pherasomen. You can hardly hear the difference if you, if, you, if you hear them said. But one is a promise. We were conformed to Adam we will be conformed to Christ. One is an exaltation. We've borne the image of Adam, but let's bear the image of Christ instead. How can we come to bear the image of the man from heaven here and now? The answer is, we are changed into the likeness of Christ as we worship him. We are changed into the likeness of what we love of what we set our hearts on. In a later letter to the Corinthians, Paul would talk about being transformed from one degree of glory to another, being changed into the likeness of Christ as we reflect, as we behold the glory of the Lord. The more we look at Christ, the more Christ-likeness there is in our lives. So the good news is not that just one day when Jesus returns, we shall be like him, we shall be transformed into his likeness completely. But here and now, here and now as we behold him in worship, we are gradually changed to become more and more Christ-like, more and more like him, rather as if we were a picture taken on an old Polaroid camera. And the more the light gets to it, the more the image becomes clear. But if you're going to take one thing away from tonight, it's that however old you are, the kind of person you are does not have to be determined by your genes or by your parents. Even if you find yourself getting more and more like them as you get older, the Spirit of God is resisting that change in you. 
Because for some of us to be like our parents could be quite bad news. For some of us, our parents took after Adam in too many ways. But be encouraged. Christ is at work in you to change you, to recreate you, to alter you at the very core of your being, to enable you to be a different person, a better person, someone actually destined for eternal life rather than the grave. And that is the life-changing power of the gospel, which still transforms people's lives and hearts after 2,000 years. We are not helplessly carried along by our genes and our upbringing. Christ says, you can be different. I can make you different. And as we worship him, he changes us from the inside out for the better. Yes, we have borne the image of the man of dust, but we shall bear the image of the man from heaven. It's God's promise. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Lord, if we're honest, we look at our lives and we all have things about us that we don't like. And we bring those things to you. And we ask that you would change us. That you would shape and mould us into your image. That you would make us more like you. Thank you that you never give up on that process. And while we are acutely aware of how incomplete it is at the moment, thank you that on that day when we see you face to face, we shall be perfected. Keep us from being satisfied about where we are now. But keep us striving for perfection. And teach us to be people who day by day worship you, look to you, allow your light into our lives. Lord, change us from being the image and likeness of our parents, from being the image and likeness of Adam, and change us to be the image and likeness of you, the man from heaven. For in your name we ask it, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.